we might have found Becca's official podcast room, actually, <laughs> which would be super cool. Um, so yeah, here we are, take two, trying yeah. again. Yep. <laughs> All right, Eli Kisco, artist. <laughs> this is me. Awesome skier. <laughs> super rad, creative person. Oh, thank you. Really great friend. <laughs> Thanks for <laughs> setting some time out of your day to come here. Of course. We definitely appreciate it. No doubt. <laughs> I, uh, I'm happy to be here again. We had a super good conversation last time, and unfortunately, I have no idea why, um, but audio didn't work. So here user we are, error. take two, take two. <laughs> user, user error, it's all my fault. But, um, you know, that being said, like, we definitely had to run around to find a room today, and we just happened to find a room with the label podcast room. <laughs> yeah, of all things. So universe blessings in disguise, I guess. Um yeah, so and here we are, and we're in a different room. So hopefully, hopefully everything sounds good. But so I, I kind of know like last time we talked a lot, and it was an awesome conversation, like you said. But for just the sake of setting the stage and setting the tone, like where did you grow up? How did you get into art and creativity? What does that mean to you today? So I grew up in. Edwards, Colorado. It's like 15 minutes outside of Vail and moved out to Montana when I was five. So from there on out, pretty much grew up here, did all my schooling here, went to college at MSU and got my graphic design degree. And um, as far as creativity, I mean, it's kind of played a role in my entire life. It's It's been a, a big I guess, structural factor of what I do and how I do it. Um, but yeah, so as far as my background, that's pretty much me, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> not, not a whole <laughs> lot. I've just been hanging out in Bozeman, loving nature and, and doing some art, nice. trying to build my own company. So what, yeah. are you, what are you doing for work? What is this building your own company? What is it? Um, it's called Eli Kisco Design. And basically what I do is creatively approach uh, people's ideas with solutions, I guess. So anything from videography to logos and branding to creative artwork, uh, woodworking. Um, I've done some map making in my days, just random things. Oh, anything really? that, yeah, I've done a couple maps of Bozeman, which has been really fun, actually. But anything that's kind of uh, something that I can view outside the box and take somebody else's ideas to a level that they might not be able to. And that all started from high school. I think we talked about this last time too, but I finally got into graphic design my senior year of high school after doodling for three years <laughs> of high school and hardly paying attention in certain classes. And all I wanted to do was draw. And so from there, basically took a graphic design class and ended up going to college for graphic design. And it's been something that's extremely defined my life the structure of it, everything, the creativity. I mean, it's, it's made me the person who I am today for sure. Do you think you view the world differently going through something that's an aesthetic major? Um, I don't know, is that a term aesthetic well, major? But yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. You know. um, I think there's actually been some studies done on creatives' minds, air quotes, creatives' minds at least. And those studies are basically concluding that creatives actually perceive the world differently than a non-creative would. And so I think 
part of the reason people become creative is because they have to have that outlet to be more fulfilled in life. And some people just don't need that aspect of life. But for me, I realized that at a young age, I wanted to be creative and artistic. And and so I rolled with it and kind of jumped into it and saw where it took me. Yeah, yeah. My dad is an artist. So growing up, like, it was always interesting. You know, we'd drive around and he'd always get like this big, his eyes would light up whenever, you know, he'd see something beautiful or like paint worthy. And, you know, I think... I think it's human nature to be creative in part, but people who love it, who, you know, you need it as a necessity, mm-hmm. I definitely think they view the world a little bit differently. They value things a little bit differently. I would agree. And and things I, at least from my perspective and what I understand, for me, things tend to be overly in depth. And so reasons for things or, you know, the fact list, check out why things happen, why this is that way. But I, I definitely like to get very engulfed in the world around me. And I think art's almost the way to let that flow and be an explanation rather than just having to build up inside or have all these creative thoughts and not know what to do with them. It's just this way to put all that energy out into the world and let it be something instead of hold on to it. Right, yeah. And you use that word explanation, which I think is beautiful because I think of artists as translators. Everyone has a different view of the world, right? But we all see it pretty much the same way. Yeah, you yeah. You know, like you all I mean, see, unless you're colorblind, like, like you see all the same colors. Basic human perspective, Basic though. human perspective yeah. is pretty much the same. But an artist is able to take that human perspective, look at it, contemplate it, kind of mull it over, and then create something where it's translated into something more beautiful. Yeah, I think it's kind of like a an explanation of deeper thoughts, like these subconscious feelings. Because art for me, I mean, at least my artwork versus my branding and my graphic design, it, it's a feeling. And so if I can roll with that feeling and make something of it, um, that there's no other way that I can express that but through art and to use that as like a tool, essentially, rather than have it as... Uh, a structurally confined thing but it's it's a way to let my mind just be gone go free do what i want to do rather than being engulfed in whatever over thoughts would be around me what's the longest you've ever worked on a project <laughs> um like in a row i guess hours wise <laughs> oh 14 i want to say what? yeah i was up super early grabbed some coffee stopped i think for lunch didn't even do dinner that night but i had a, a splatter paint piece <laughs> and all the little splatters ended up being outlined in black pen, <laughs> just tiny black Sharpie. So it was, it was a good piece, though. It was one of those, you know, find a different emotion and be able to express it through something I don't usually do. What was the incentive? Was, was it for a class or were you getting Just paid? fun. No, it was, I mean... You spent 14 hours for fun. Yep, okay. just zoning out <laughs> my own head. Um, what did you think about when you were... What does one think about? Or are you just so concentrated yeah. on it? I, I think you're more so concentrated on it than than thinking that it just, like I said, it becomes that natural process of feeling rather than having to think about what you're doing and why you're doing it. And I think especially artists that get super caught up in what they're doing oftentimes forget about that factor because it's just cranking out art, pumping out art. A lot of artists, you know, just are doing it to try and make money and, and they forget about this this wholesomeness to it and why they started doing it. But I think genius happens a lot just because people don't realize what it's coming from and that was just kind of one of those pieces where it wasn't necessarily anything genius by any means but where it was coming from was genuine and that was that was the purpose of 
that piece of art for me at least because you can't lie in art i feel like yeah i mean it's uh for instance like when people sing they have that expression that tone that pitch and all of that comes through in a feeling that people can listen to and understand whereas i feel all those same things through drawing lines rather than vibrational lines and sound and auditory it, it just becomes a physical thing for me instead that's incredible that's really <laughs> cool so what is it called when people have senses but they like they can smell colors oh do you, do you know what I mean? oh i do know what you're talking about but that's something completely different but you know what i mean yeah i know exactly what you mean anyway they they sense sensations in different modalities than what's yes. normal so they they can feel they can they can feel taste they can yep. they can see it's like a chef would be able to feel taste yeah. it's just that full soulfulness part of him that like it, it becomes a big part of you in that sensory perception though yeah but yeah i would agree i, th I think that any anybody who's dedicated and good in their profession really kind of focuses on something like that because it's it's making sense of a feeling or making sense of uh, literally any thoughts i mean that that was why i did art and i'm assuming many people that get into their professions do it the same same way yeah so you talked a little bit about like doodling in school so how did it first start about and then when did it transition well i mean like obviously all kids use coloring books and things like that i did a did not like those how to draw step-by-step -step books. That was not my thing growing up. But I got to the point where things were not looking very up in my life. And I realized that art was the way to deal and cope with that. And so kind of from there, it just it turned into something that became a daily part of life. And by senior year of high school, it was something that I couldn't see my life without, I guess. And so the doodles started turning into subconscious mind projections, which started turning into conscious ability to put lines on paper and express myself. And I mean, I, I kind of realized that not everybody could do that. And it was something unique to me that I could embrace. So I kept rolling with it and, you know, it, it really helped me through a lot. It was, it was quite a, an expressive point in my life that I didn't know how to express myself, I think, too which made it all that much better to to try and sit down and like spend time working on myself. And it was almost a way to force myself to take an inner look too, because I was at a point where I really wanted to just push away all the feelings, all the chaos, whatever was going on in my mind, just that, that high school craziness that we talked about last time, but to, to push that away wasn't healthy and it, it caused me to become quite unhealthy through high school yeah. um and so yeah we ended up or i ended up uh just rolling with it instead there, there's no no reason to fight it it's kind of like rolling through a river you know you go with <laughs> with the flow instead of against it or you're just gonna have a bad time right um have you ever looked at a piece of artwork you know you, you mentioned subconscious like creativity or projections and have you ever looked at a piece of artwork and been like, holy cow, how, like, where did this come from? <laughs> yeah, a lot of times, actually. I mean, you'll you'll see all those crazy psychedelia works nowadays that are just the, the kind of European Romanesque collages, but they're all done with modern content. And I think those are just, like, 
the wildest things in the world. I don't know where people come from on social, political, you know, uh, emotional, spiritual views on all those. But, but for me, it's just this compilation of who are you as a person and how you put that on paper. And so to see some of these things that are just unconceptual or I guess unable to be conceived in my mind, like it, it just, it kind of baffles me and makes me wonder where this person actually gets their inspiration from. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I've definitely looked at some pieces of work before and, and wondered what the hell <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> I think that's part of, that's what scares me about art is when you see these abstract pieces and you're like, how did someone come up with this? And if so, are they doing it to like, to expose like how evil or dark their soul could be? Or are they doing it? You know what I mean? It's like almost their, their form of subliminal advertising for themselves. Yes. It's like, hey, this is me. And if you like it, like my art. Yeah, like welcome to the thing. club. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. I can see that though. I like that thought. I think that's that's probably very accurate and definitely has to do with most people's art styles. So when um, did it come, like when did it transition from being about doodles and like drawing for yourself to more of like hey I'm, I'm gonna go to school for this did you always know you wanted to do graphic design I think it came down to I didn't want to go to college and my parents <laughs> were like you need to go to college and so here I am you know 18 year old kid like what do I want to do all I want to do is be outside like doing stuff enjoying nature or doing art and that was the only direction I had at that point. So I kind of, you know, quit all the sports that I was doing for the most part, besides all the hobbies. I mean, I stopped competitive sports though, at least, and art turned into that release instead of trying to beat everyone or trying to, you know, better myself through a physical activity. It became bettering myself through mentality. And I realized that I could essentially be a philosopher that (laughs) draws thoughts on paper for the rest of my life if I executed right. And I I love overthinking, so I think that kind of just fell hand in hand at that point. And it was like, all right, if I'm going to overthink for the rest of my life, I might as well do something that I can express my overthinking through. That's incredible. Um, you have to be pretty self-aware at 18 to think that through. Yeah, it, I, I don't think it was thought through. I mean, I was at a point where my life didn't make sense. My emotions didn't make sense where they were coming from. There wasn't any sort of, like, set anything for cycle and it was just kind of one of those things that exposed itself through the process there wasn't any direction there wasn't I I just did what I knew worked for me at the time and it led to something so much bigger um and I think it goes that comes down to just do it like go out and try stuff you don't know if you're don't try kind of thing like that's it's, it's a very true quote though I mean and you just find something and you roll with it. And if it's not for you, move on. I mean, there's no no use in wasting time either. But at the same time, if you don't try it, I mean, it could be could be that one thing that saves your life or changes your life forever. Right. What competitive sports did you do? Then? I played soccer in spring and fall, hockey in the winter, skied in the winter, and then I had a summer of lacrosse too. So it was four seasons a year. Holy cow. Competitive. My parents just wanted to expose me to stuff and like put it out there and I got to the point where I was just like no I can't do this like all I ever do is go 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 and it became a bit more about what I wanted and I kind of like looked for what I wanted more rather than just going with the flow or being a part of the team or 
you know, cause it was a team and I, cause I knew how to play soccer. Like it, yeah. it was just this point, I guess, of putting the old behind me and learning to appreciate what new was coming in my life yeah. too, though. Yeah. Did you ever, did you get any head injuries growing up? Any concussions? So or, <laughs> I mean, um, hockey and soccer and, and skiing all. Yeah. Well, and kids wear your helmets. That's, that's the <laughs> ski lesson for the day. Yeah, I definitely had my my fair share of head smacks throughout the day. Been knocked out a couple times in hockey. Major headaches from soccer for sure, and then skiing. I mean, trees and snow just yeah. are not bad to hit, but not great. Um, <laughs> Plus, like you add like jumps into there and like yeah, backflips. And- definitely, the freestyle skiing was my direction with it all too, because it it just came down to you know being able to express myself through something way different <laughs> than I would ever know how to. Plus, I've been on skis since I was two, so kind of hard not to to really push the limits as far as that goes. But yeah. but yeah, the head injury thing I think has definitely you know been been a big factor of just daily life. I mean, there's certain days where I'll think back and just be like, I understood everything made sense as a kid, and then some things just like the simplest of tasks I'll just have to rethink over and over and over and just wonder how am I supposed to do this like, and, like what and I guess I have I that problem know. with algebra but that's just because <laughs> I don't know algebra. how to do algebra so <laughs> um, <laughs> let's see example for a basic example since we're talking about art graphic design yeah. how do I go through a program and find a process to create a certain thing and standardize that for myself but instead of execution, it'll take, you know, weeks to try and figure out, all right, here's the 15 different ways I could do this. Here's the three that I want to. And here's the one that I, you know, should do. But it, the acceptance rate of things um, has slowed down a little bit, right. I feel like, as well. As far as dis- decisiveness. Yeah, mostly decisiveness. I still think very quickly, but to make a decision based on that, I think... I almost think too quickly and can't come to a conclusion. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that just has to do with growing up and having thoughts or if that's head injuries and trauma, but <laughs> um, definitely hit my head quite a few times. I guess I guess from there, like you've mentioned a couple of times growing up, you know, you say like, oh, I didn't, I was in a really hard place, but what, what age were you when when all that happened, do you think it was because of head injuries or do you think it was because of something else? Or, Well, I mean, there's a billion things that it could be, which is why <laughs> it's kind of hard to think about just because yeah. there's so many directions. And I think it's kind of one of those things where uh, nature and nurture, you're just made who you are as a person through your experiences. Um, and so I'm sure part of it has to do with, you know, hit my head um part of it was definitely nutrition not eating well enough yeah um and then part of it could be genetics i mean i was born six weeks early and the last six weeks are pretty important in brain development and things like that so um i mean there's there's plethora of factors and it's kind of just one of those things that i've worked with instead of against and i don't really know when it popped up i mean most likely you know mid middle school to early high school um but yeah, it's kind of just the same time that everybody has those issues. I think mine maybe just were a little blown out of proportion in my head just because yeah. of, you know, the relative factors or perspective on it. Yeah. That, and that time from 18 to 22, 23, 24, 25. Like, <laughs> yep, 24 now currently. You know, like that, especially like 18, 19, 
you know, sophomore to high school to sophomore in college, I feel like the life life is so fragile and the well, world around you is so unpredictable. Everything you know up till then is school. I mean, your entire life has been this structured block shaped thing where you're told what to do, how to do it, and there's expectations set. And all of a sudden you get to high school and then you have these freedoms. And these freedoms call for expectations to be set by you instead of by somebody else. And that becomes a very frightening thing for people, especially when you know they haven't made those choices as they've grown up or given the opportunity to make those choices. So I think, I think oftentimes it's just this, this point in life where that happens in general and then based on the nature and nurture that you've had and how you deal with it hormonally and emotionally, physically, spiritually, whatever happens, it's all a determining factor for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting because so I was homeschooled growing up every other year and that just, I feel like I had an abnormal, I, you know, <laughs> abnormal high school experience for sure. Like I lived in an Amish community my freshman year of school. Like, Which is awesome though. I mean, <laughs> what an experience to have. But at the same time, like you I was talking about, it's, it's very different to be raised in an environment like that. That's part of your nature, part of who you are. Your everyday life has changed because you experienced that though. Yeah. And so there was not a lot of structure, you know, it's almost the opposite. Mm -hmm. Like, so I, I get to be a junior in high school and, and I got into a deep dark place because I felt confined. I felt like there was too much structure. It was like, you're a girl, you have to act this way. You have to be this way. And now you have to go to college and you have to go to school and you know, you're just going to end up being a mom eventually because, like, that's what all, like, all women are, you know, eventually everyone turns into a mom, which, you know, I'm just like, what? Like, this is terrifying. This is sad. I'm going to have to work in an office building for the rest of my life. Like, and that's what put me in a a dark place, you know, but it's almost the opposite of yours in a way. But I feel like, you know, I feel like you're very free-spirited and free-minded at the same time, so. Yeah, I try and be at least. It's one of those things, consistent work in progress. I definitely repressed a lot of things and, and made uh, made certain connections with thoughts at the early stages of understanding what depression was to me that I think have permanently affected how I see myself and others. I mean, one of the biggest things I told myself in high school that I regret was I don't need to be around people. Um, And it's just, it's definitely changed my perception of wanting to be around people and in big crowds and things like that, which I know is very necessary. We're a social species. Like that's just how humans are. You spend enough time alone, you literally go insane. So it's kind of interesting to look back on those kind of things where there are factors that I've consciously decided and consciously remember Versus the nature and nurture factors that have, you know, built apart in the subconscious factors right. in the, what, the why, past. Why do you think you, you didn't need to be around people? I, you know, th- th- there isn't really a reason. Was I it think, just like this organic yeah, thought most that of popped the, into your head? Most of the, well, in this, looking back on it, it could be the reason I got into art. And so for me, depression became this thing that I used as a tool for motivation. Um, it was, it was a reason that I got to do what I wanted to do. I mean, if you, if you never get pushed down into the dark, sometimes you can't see that light. And so to have this, you know, super great life growing up as a kid and not have that happen, I would have been some stuck up rat 
today. There's no doubt about it. And I'm sure I'm still bratty and stuck up. Like everybody has their moments, but I really try and, you know, be a, a, a better person in what I would view a, a good person to be in my eyes. And that yeah. that's become a conscious shift that I think I made when I realized what my world was and how I could change it. But then I also realized that every single person around me is going through this same experience and how can I influence that and be a part of that and how important that is to influence me too. Um, if you, if you overthink something, you have zero time to think any new thoughts. So, I mean, meditation, being quiet, that's, that's how you, you know, come to ease with things is, is not overthinking. You let your brain think naturally instead of worrying. For those of you that worry, there's a very, very good video Alan Watts has on worrying, and it is one of my favorite talks ever. Um, but he talks about how we start worrying because we're worried. And I think I was in a similar boat where I was becoming more depressed because I realized I was depressed. And so then I'd get sad about it, and then I'd be sad because I was sad. And it, it was just this thing that you know never stopped but didn't make any sense to me. So yeah, I, I can't remember where the question we started was, but... That's all right. That's okay. That, that was that. <laughs> so how did you use depression to like propel you forward? Well, I kind of touched on that with the... Uh, use it as a motivation yeah. or an origin point of... I, I think, it, you know, essentially defining myself. And right. that was where it became dangerous as well because it became a defining factor and something I let define me. Instead of, you know, pushing through it or working through it or looking for that new perspective I usually did, it was something I just started rolling with and it became more and more dangerous every single time. And so I guess, you know, art was kind of the, the projection point of where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do, but it was also somewhat a downfall in the whole process. Mm -hmm. But like I say, looking back on it, I personally wouldn't want to have it any other way because I wouldn't know who I am right now without all those experiences happening to right. me. And that, that tends to be like the trend of, of things is people go through these extreme challenges, whether physical, mental, academic, financially, or, or just lifestyle-wise. Mentally, specifically, you know, I feel like it's hard to say I wouldn't want to go through that again. It really is. I mean, especially because the most comfortable thing we know is what we know. I mean, it's it, that that is our experience. And so to have somebody say, this is this instead of what you believe, that's uncomforting because they're telling you, okay, you're wrong on top of it and this doesn't make any sense. And so you have to recontemplate that, reorganize yourself, and that can be an extremely difficult thing to do. Do you think you have more understanding or, or grace, like quote unquote, for people? Uh, I try. I mean, uh, that's just been one of those things that you see how sad you've gotten and like, why would you ever want anyone to be that sad? So you almost start going out of your way to make other people less sad. Um, and that kind of became the starting point of my happiness too, was stop doing things for you. Like once again, you do need to be around humans. You do need to have that social inter interaction in your life. And to, to deny that to myself was just unhuman. So to, to really push that was definitely a big key. Yeah. I guess in my experience. Yeah, there's a huge difference between self-discipline and self-denial. Definitely. And a very fine line, <laughs> but it's it's definitely yeah. a big difference for sure. Yeah. So it's like interesting because 
you know, just studying like cell biology and neuroscience, I, you know, you know, the risk factors for depression include like brain injuries are huge. Like head injuries are huge for that nutrition. Um, you know, omega threes have such a huge impact on brain health. And so does good nutrition, especially during development. And the brain isn't fully developed until like mid 25. Yep. So I'm just like, I'm, I'm wondering, like, what, what have you done to, like, get your... Are, are you still sad? I hope not. Like, I know it's a continuing battle, but what did you do to get yourself out of that? Besides um, talking with and being around other humans. I think the biggest thing was just perspective. Yeah, I mean, it was... I, I had had some experiences that <laughs> just changed my life. There was one moment I just looked out the window... I was watching a sunset and I just, I had this thought of redefining happiness and what would that mean? And, and I realized I could redefine that in my brain if I wanted to, it it didn't need to be anything else. It was what I had made it. And that was, I think the biggest turning factor was just realizing all these emotions, all these visuals, like everything in my life is a direct response of what I perceive. And so to try and perceive consciously, try and look deep, see why you're seeing something negatively and try and perceive it better. That was kind of my philosophy, which can definitely be a blind man's game, too. I mean, you're walking into these things like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to ignore the bad and like make make good with the good. But that was the starting point for me was realizing the restructured capabilities that a brain has and that it really is just a giant neural computer. I mean, we have so much power in our brains. And I think honestly, as time has gone on, we've lost spiritual connection with ourselves, which is, in essence, the power to, to access those abilities and, and really search deeply within yourself. Because, I mean, in my opinion, you know, we are just spiritual beings in physical form. So to try and explain that is, is not very explainable, but <laughs> it's, it's definitely one of those things where that became a perspective factor for me. What was the name of the, the place you went to? Oh, Almond Clinic? Yeah. yeah. I wanted to say, like, Chestnut Lane. <laughs> Chestnut Lane? Yeah, Almond um, Clinic. Know. Almond, so A-M-E-N. A-M-E-N. So um, what, what, when did you go there? Uh, that was my freshman year of college. And so basically what they do is inject slight doses of radiation into your bloodstream. And then they have you do mental activities um, and just, like, super basic you know, touch letters in the space bar and enter on a keyboard or whatever. But there was a, you know, the control group where you're just static, your brain's not doing anything. And then there's the the working brain. And so essentially my, my static brain, so to speak, was overpowering itself. Like there, there wasn't any reason I should be thinking as much as I did while I wasn't thinking. And then on top of it, when I'm thinking, it's just overthought about. And so there's actually pathways between my brain going from points to other points that have nothing to do with what I think about at that time. So all my like coordination skills have emotions attached to them what? and things like that, where it's, it's just this, this crazy mishmash of a brain and like, basically how your brain works based on some radiation readings and neural pathways some some ct contrast or mri contrast and Um, were you in an mri when mm -hmm. you were doing those so i did uh i did the activities before and then they would have the control 
and then I would go in the MRI and then the next day I think they had me come back um, to let my body like readjust to the radiation and whatnot. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I can't remember exactly, but there was way too much going on in my head though. They were just like, um, your brain is hyperactive and there's yeah. different neural networks. Like I'd be using my frontal lobe and like the left and right whole side of my brain would be lit up too. And there'd be no reason for it or whatever. So it, it was really cool. Cause it, we talked about how this kind of gave reasoning um, there was this. Were you exhausted all the time? Oh, still am. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is why I have coffee. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's once again, the exhaustion comes back to being depressed. That is exhausting. Did Having you? bad nutrition, that is exhausting. Not getting enough sleep, that is exhausting. Um, and so it, it's really just me doing it to myself and it progressively getting worse. But yeah, I'm usually exhausted. Um, Did you crave sugar? Because the brain runs yes. off of glucose. I, I definitely crave sugars. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but at the same time, no. I, the sugars that I've started craving have become natural. So things like fruit, uh, vegetables. Right. I'll eat artificial sugar and candies and I can feel how gross it is in my body. Um, and that's just, you know, been an accumulation of, all right, eat healthy, yeah. have the thought, oh, this is unhealthy food, I should have a healthier snack. Yeah. Um, and it's just kind of gone through time. And my mom has always been a major health nut, which has helped a ton. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's no doubt that I was extremely unhealthy through the whole process, which I think is so part of the you, biggest issue. Right. And so when you went to this clinic and they got the brain scans back, were they just like, yeah, so your brain is like hyperactive and not like in an ADD sense, but like quite literally hyperactive in every yeah. single portion. Have a good rest of your life or did they give you so, any exercises or anything? <laughs> yeah, I guess I didn't really touch up on the, the follow through on that. <laughs> um, so they, I was diagnosed basically with severe reoccurring depression and malnourishment, which I was told I was more malnourished than a third of the people in India which is not a good statistic to be a part of, especially in the fattest country in the world. Um, so it, it was, you know, a big wake-up call for sure. And what they do and focus on is using homeopathy and natural medicines to balance your body back out instead of um, antidepressants are uptake inhibitors. So there's, there's connections in your brain. One thing's released. The other thing uptakes it. And... Basically, depression is not being able to uptake serotonin, correct? Um, there's depression is multifactorial and there, you know, it's more than just a chemical imbalance. It really is, especially long term severe depression, which, um, you know, there's, there's ideas that it is the neural pathway. So there's something called the default mode network in the brain. Okay. So when the brain is at rest and you're not thinking about anything, that default mode network will be like say from like the prefrontal cortex to the amygdala to the hippocampus to the frontal cortex and back. There's a default mode okay. network. Yeah. And in people with severe depression and PTSD, um, that default mode network is altered. And gotcha. It, and I think about it. I think about it like neurological scarring. I don't know how accurate that is. Well, um, I would agree because I've been told that, you know, it's like walking a pathway. The more that you walk on it, the more that it's rutted in, the less yeah. grass it's going to grow on it, but the more solidified it is, which yeah. is why habits are so important. Yeah, exactly. 
And so that's what's different from, that's what separates people on a clinical level from just moderate to severe depression. Um, And severe prolonged depression is what causes those changes in brain neural connectivity. What happens, why SSRIs, serotonin reuptake inhibitors, or uh, norepinephrine, epinephrine reuptake inhibitors like Wellbutrin, why they work is the brain is made up of neurotransmitters, and so a neuron will release serotonin or norepinephrine or dopamine or epinephrine or any other neurotransmitter, and then the post-synapse, the postsynaptic neuron um, will uptake that via protein mechanisms mm-hmm. and receptor protein receptors on the uh, cell membrane. And then reuptakes, there's a reuptake protein on the previous neuron that released that serotonin. So if serotonin is remains in that synaptic cleft or that synaptic gap, it can be reuptake, reuptook <laughs> into that into the cell that it, that released it originally. Yeah. And in this way, that you know, it helps with it helps with temporal resolution. So it, it decreases the time that serotonin is in there. So you get these extremely fast firings, and it allows for refinement of the chemical release. And then so serotonin reuptake inhibitors stop that reuptake. So more serotonin is allowed to stay in the synaptic cleft and then allowed to be allowed to be engulfed and endos through endocytosis into the postsynaptic neuron. And okay. that once you reach a certain threshold potential through calcium influx and sodium influx, clearly I'm nerding out about <laughs> this and I love it. But well, but I think people should know this because it is a very important yeah. part of depression is realizing the chemicals and all this process that actually happens. Yeah, and that's what was key to me. Anyway, let me focus on this first. <laughs> so, and then that allows that neuron to fire an electrical impulse. And then so you get a chemical electrical impulse in mm-hmm. neurons. And then that can go on and fire the next neuron and the next neuron. And that's what creates neuronal activity. Um, so from my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. but these reuptake inhibitors and chemicals that are used in antidepressants, your brain becomes used to. And that's why antidepressants don't work forever um, is because there's that threshold point that you're talking about where it's just all the chemicals are just left in that synaptic reuptake. Yeah. uh, So you get the, you get the, you know, the brain is plastic. So you are regulating these, these um, receptor proteins on the cell membrane. Okay. And so eventually those can either be downgraded or upgraded. And if you have excess of something, it's the brain likes homeostasis, so it's going to downgrade the receptor proteins eventually, sometimes. And, you know, antidepressants are, I think they are amazing. They've, you know, they definitely are efficient for severe depression. I think they're about equal for <laughs> moderate depression. They're about as equal as taking a sugar pill and the mm-hmm. placebo effect, yep, which no is doubt. still 30%. So that's, that's, that's surprising. Yeah. But yeah, definitely. I think antidepressants, they're not a long-term solution to depression at all. Yeah, definitely not. It's I've... really important if someone has depression to go and get on them. It, they definitely save lives. They definitely make you feel better. And they just stabilize you just enough so that you can start thinking again and being like, okay, how do I make myself better? Thinking clearly, I think, is the key, though, because if you're stuck in this cycle and loop, that you, I mean, for me, depression was, I don't want to be out of this. I don't want to be away from it. It was comforting, but scary at the same time. And so I just pushed myself back into this loop. And what 
these medicines essentially did for me was allow me to view that, see it as what I wanted to see instead of what I thought it was and, and kind of move on, you know, like you said, build healthy habits around that, but it, it's not the solution. It's the start to be able to help yourself. Yeah. And I think that's very important too, because a lot of people probably get addicted to all these antidepressants and then by the end of it, nothing works for you. Right. And that's the scariest part is you, you can't actually benefit from these if you're not putting the effort back into right. yourself too. Or maybe not addicted, but maybe they become dependent. On dependent. Them, yeah. That's, know? that's a much better word than yeah. addicted. Um, yeah. I don't feel like for me, they were addicting at all. Um, which I, I went homeopathic, like we were talking about, yeah. a lot more natural. So what did they um, do? What did, what kind of stuff? Did they put you on omega-3s? Oh, like it was, vitamin, I was taking D. 25 pills a day, <laughs> uh, morning and night, and it was it was just a lot. There was thyroids. Yeah. I think my thyroid was probably the biggest issue I had. I had things helping my digestive system work again. because so like I wasn't. probiotics? Um, there was some probiotics, but it was... Um, I mean, all of them had the weirdest names, and this was back in high school. I think this was high school when I was starting all this process. Um, and then the almond clinic was kind of the same but different process, different doctor, same-ish results but better solutions. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if if I could remember those, <laughs> I would have a great memory because no, there was a okay. lot. That's fine. But, yeah, I mean, it, it just came down to this cycle of – I don't want to be on these pills anymore and I want to make sure that I can be happy through how I want to be happy. Yeah. Um, and so ultimately that was, that was kind of the outcome of that was, all right, I got to the point where I can think clearly I'm done taking these, which is not the best thing to self prescribe either. I would talk to your doctor about this, especially if you're on, you know, prescribed medicines. But I came to this self conclusion where I was like, I'm tired of this. Like, I'm so done being sad. I'm so done feeling sad for myself. Um, and I just started picking apart what this mentally was to me because it, it wasn't something that was normal or something that I felt was, you know, the average person's experience. And, and how can I make sense of this without having to talk to people or, you know, with talking to people? And, you know, I have a super supportive family. Uh, me, me and Becca have talked about just you need checkup buddies. Like, doesn't matter if it's family, friends, just a coworker. Like, find these people in your life that care and want you to care back. Uh, and and honestly, those are the ones that become the lifelong friends. I mean, there's times me and Becca won't won't talk for a year and a half, and then I'll see her out of nowhere, and it's like, oh my goodness, how are you doing? <laughs> um, but just she's one of those people, you know, that I can check in with literally whenever and feel no judgment about. And I think that's very important to have in life, too. And to be able to do that with yourself as well. And no judgment, like let the ego go. There's there's no reason you should feel bad for what you're doing. There is a reason you should feel bad for continuing it if you're consciously aware of it. Um, and I think that's all good words. <laughs> And yeah, definitely consider you a close friend. And I try to be a good friend. I really do. Oh, no, you are. I (laughs) I was talking to her the other day. She was saying she she was just feeling under the weather. We've been in this middle of the polar vortex thing. Like Like negative 10 degrees outside. It's cold. Okay, like Great Falls was negative 35 the other day. And that was no wind chill. So here we are in the middle of way too cold. Um, There's been no sunshine lately. Everything's been blowing snow in. And, and it's just, it's, 
you know, it's factors <laughs> of life. Like it literally just happens. But we were talking about that and it's, it's just one of those things where, you know, it's, it's an outlet. Go find those friends that can make all those things better or at least help you make sense of making them better for yourself. Yeah. Um, one last question for yep. you. Do you think happiness is a choice? Um, I do. I think life is a choice. At the same time, there's there's things we can't choose, um, things we're born into, and it comes down to nature and nurture. What's your your nature that you've created for yourself, and how you've been nurtured affects that nature, obviously. But but there's this process of a human that you exist through that you can understand better right. by by just being. Right. But do you think? people have do you think our brains are strong enough to say this situation might suck and I might feel this way but this feeling is only temporary and I can choose to feel better and I think Granted that's if nutrition and everything is that's provided an for individual basis too like for me it took a good five years to figure that thought process out and make sense of it and most of the time I was spending time alone in my brain just rethinking about stuff and and I you know essentially just forced myself out of a situation by overthinking it I guess which was not the easiest thing to go through and it took a very long time and I'm still going through it and I I've kind of you know come to terms with these emotions that I have make me want to be better it doesn't come down to oh I feel bad or oh this is bad in my life it comes down to if we aren't going through bad, nothing needs to be better. And I think that just that's human nature. We need to progress as a species, especially to be sustainable. And if people aren't upset about anything, then how is it going to get any better? Right. Like this idea that in order for the good to be good, you need some bad. And like contrast in life it's is all, needed. All yin and yang. Yeah. For sure. Exactly. Well, Eli, thank you so much. Oh, of course, I Becca. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks for having me back. Yeah. <laughs>